This is Date to Your Potential, inspiring, educating, and empowering single members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our hosts are Peggy Matheson, betrayal trauma recovery expert, and Sharon Collier, certified life and relationship coach. Welcome to episode two. I'm Peggy. And I'm Sharon. And today we're going to hear Sharon's story, which I'm really curious about. I want to know how did you become a dating coach? Well, I'm going to say it started as a child. I had a mentally ill mother. We lived in the hoarder house. We didn't know that was a, a mental illness at the time. We were just the dirty family that nobody could go visit. <laughs> so it's no surprise that I married a mentally ill husband. Mm-hmm. Very normal. Um, very normal. The patterns are the same. Now I know that it's normal. <laughs> then I didn't know it's normal. Sure. But we connected really well, my husband and I, and I think about it now, and we connected on a very physical level. And I was actually told that he came home from his mission early because he had depression. But somebody said, but he's fine now. Of course. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, who knew anything about depression really in the 80s? Yeah. Anyways, but physically, we fit together perfectly. We loved spending time together. We could sit and snuggle. Um, (laughs) I talk about, yes, I talk about (laughs) physical attraction all the time. And physical too fast. And physical too. And we, I'm going to say we didn't do that. Um, We actually were going to talk about, you know, we talked about taking it slow. And we kind of did that, except that we saw each other every day. So we met um, the night of our first date. And then we saw each other every single day after that. So 11 days in, which some people would say was too fast. And normally I would say that's too fast, but literally that was our 11th date. Our first kiss your was 11 on, days was in was your 11th date. Oh, that was our 11th date, right? So anyways, but no, I think. And how old were you? I was 18. Well, there you go. Yes. So in, in my little 18-year-old defense, I thought I was doing something really smart. You know, we were taking it slow, sort of, by the 11th date. Anyways, but I think because the physical chemistry was so good, and I talk about this a lot, you know this, um, we just thought that we were meant to be. Aha. Uh-huh. So we met, we married eight months later, which... In our culture is a really long time. Yeah. I mean, mine was six months from meeting to marriage. Uh Yes. And so, which isn't bad when you're children, but we're going to talk about that later as well, how you don't want to do that the second and third time around. No. No. We do not. Anyways, but after we got married, we figured, or we found out that we had nothing in common really at all. And that is when the mental illness showed up. And I talk about that, about the eight to nine month period in dating, why you want to date past that, because all the love chemicals are so awesome that you don't realize, you know, I mean, he could hide that really well. And maybe he was oblivious to the mental illness. So that was his normal. So it's like eight to nine months where you the chemicals start to they start subside. To, yes, they start to die off, which happened. We had our wedding. We had our honeymoon at eight months. And I came home to a different person. And um, very quickly, everything was my fault. Ooh. And I took it because I came from the hoarder house. I came from the crazy mom. And so it made sense. 
it made sense in my story that I would be the problem. So you already had some patterns, you already had some really deep beliefs about yourself that you brought into the marriage, and it was being lived out in the marriage. Yes. Uh And I didn't think I had any defense at all, because I did come from a hoarder house. And I really did have a mentally ill mother. Not that we really knew that we called her crazy. But we didn't legitimately know that she was diagnosably Right. And nobody was talking about it back then. They didn't talk about things like that. So yeah, so we met and married and had problems right off. And to make things, I guess, quote unquote, normal, we had children. And then things really fell apart. I think I think the weight of children, our second one was a surprise. Mm. The weight of the children just put him over the top. There was infidelity. There was a lot of really bad things going on. Um, he was spending money we didn't have. There was just, I mean, you name it, and it was happening. So we wow. divorced. Yeah, we understandable. Divorced. Yes, we divorced. and And then I was kind of like killing it at life. I was doing really well. I kind of moved from job to job until I found this really great job at this furniture store where there was just room to grow. And I did. And so we kind of started dating again in the process of this because from his standpoint, I had changed. Oh, you had changed. I had changed and I was better. And once again, all the physical stuff because we always had a great physical relationship. All the physical stuff kind of drew us back together. We were sharing the kids and we remarried. Wow. Yes. Um, In the meantime though, he had gotten on a really good medication. He'd found a really good therapist, like he knew. You really, you, you saw him as a changed man. I did. And he saw you as changed. Yes. Too. This makes total sense that you would come back together. Sort of. Yeah. Well, sort of. Well, it did at the time. (laughs) But of course, you know, in hindsight, you can see all the problems because uh, people with mental illness always need help. But at the time, uh, he found this great counselor. They put him on some heavy duty medication. He actually got himself off medication. And we started living what I would call a fairly normal life. Got it. And we, he changed jobs and progressed in his job and we bought a bigger house. We kind of bought our dream house. Our dreams were small. It wasn't huge, but it wasn't a small house, but it was our dream house and it was at the end of a cul-de-sac. And we seemed to take life's challenges really well. And that lasted for about four years where we added two more children, which is kind of a fun story to tell because I'll say, well, the first two... Or from the one second. marriage, and the second two were from a different marriage, and people will say, "Wow, they all look so similar." <laughs> you know, I got to stop here for just a second because yeah. I have said that I was married to the same man twice without divorce, and then here we are, both of us single now. Right. So keep going. Right. All right. <laughs> so we added the two children, and his mom got diagnosed with cancer, and she was given six to eighteen months to live, and she lived four. Oh no. So. She was a lovely, lovely lady. She was dynamic. And if you walked into her home, you were her family. Like, she was such a lovely woman. But he couldn't do it. So it really threw him off the like, deep end when it, she yes. passed away. Yes. Uh, the, Which is not uncommon, by the way. Not I've seen it so many times. And I don't know if this happens with women, but I've seen it with men. When, when their mother dies, 
it's, it seems like it's their mother, maybe, you know, maybe the father, but it just like spins them out into a different space. Right. And he was very, very close with his mom. Very mm-hmm. close. So um, she passed away and literally our marriage fell apart within a year. Oh. So we had separated. And once again, I started killing it without the weight of him kind of dragging me down. I started killing it. I purchased a home for me and the kids, you know, after we spent a year in an apartment and then I purchased a home, which really bugged him because I think when we separated, he really thought I was going to fail at life and that I would come back and then everything would be on his terms. And he could always say, well, you came back. Got it. So I didn't need to go back. So why do you think you were killing it twice after your divorces? What do you think that was about? I think it was, he liked to remind me how dysfunctional I was. And he liked to remind me where the dysfunction came from. And he liked to tell me, oh, you're just like your mom. So even in the good part, when things were really good, he was still doing this. Not so much. Not so much, but he was working really good jobs at the time, and we had, you know, pretty much enough money. So, so he would go in and out of treating you poorly. He would go in and out of saying these things that were negative yeah. to you, depending on how he was feeling. Well, yes. Or was was he going through a cycle? Was he just cycling so, yes. through this? And which is common again in mental illness. The doctor helped him track a forty day cycle. Okay. And there were three or four days in that cycle where we knew that he was just going to be down. And so we would get the house really clean and he would get things done at work so they weren't stressful to try to make it through these three or four days. And we did this successfully for, a, I'm not going to say a really long time, but we did it successfully for a while. And then we kind of just let it go. So it's like every 40 days or so, I was just like my mom. The house was not clean enough. Which was funny that we ended up together because I came from the hoarder house and his mom was so neat and clean that if we forgot a binky or something and had to go back into her house after a visit, she'd be picking up sock lint off the floor. Oh. Like she lived in a museum, very tastefully decorated, you know, like you, you just almost felt like you couldn't touch. Yeah. So interesting that you would be drawn to, that you would have such different backgrounds in this one aspect here. Yes. That you would be drawn together. Yes. Even so though. the house was never clean enough. And I'm like, we have kids. Like, we have to live in our house. And my house was by no means a hoarder house, but it was, I was not like his mom. I was never, I, that was never my goal, even because who wants to be that particular? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like my house does not need to be a show place. You know, right. I have and, children. Right. It's just the way it is. And so um, we ended up separating. And I bought the home and actually we got along pretty well. And really, we just kind of existed in different houses, which was funny because I was working two to three jobs, part-time jobs. And he'd come over after work and eat dinner with us. And I'm like, well, you're the one with the money. Why are you eating my food? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? But we actually got along really well where there was no possibility of any kind of control or anything, or if he was obnoxious or mean you could just kick him out just kick him out yeah it's time for you to go home if you can't be nice you can go home and that's common with Mm -hmm. someone who's controlling to when you when they know that you that you have boundaries that you are in control and there's they're not going to be able to 
to do anything, they kind of let you alone. Yeah. So we got along really, really well. And we had never filed for divorce at all. We just kind of existed that way. And we had a conversation a couple days before his suicide that, you know, we need to poop or get off the pot pretty much. Are we getting divorced? Or are we getting back together? And I was very honest with him, which I hardly ever was. He was, you know, I felt like I was on eggshells all the time. It's probably scary to be really honest you know, with and him, I right? And I said, yes, I said, I feel like I'm the scapegoat. And the only reason you want me around is so that you can blame me for everything that's going wrong. Because Ouch. at this point, I had identified this. Yeah. I had identified that, you know what? You're the problem. <laughs> Not that I don't have issues in the marriage, because we no, all do. You right. Know. But... Yeah. You were like, seeing clearly. I was seeing far more clearly that, yes. Because you had separated yourself from the situation. You had gotten clear. You had strengthened yourself. You had reclaimed your voice and your power. So you could see clearly what was really going on. Yes. Got it. And so, yes, when I told him that, he was really quite furious with me. And he said, that's not the truth. I've always been good to you. Total lies. I know on some level he knew he was not good to me. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, I get the silent treatment for days. That's not a normal marital behavior. Yeah, usually know? when this kind of control is happening, there's, they're, they're doing it because they can. Yes. And they know they can. Yes. And it's because they have a different value system than you do. And they value themselves more than you. Right. And so as long as he could get away with it, he would keep doing it. Right. Yes. Well, and I was a different person, too, because I had been self-sufficient. Yeah, you had changed your patterns, your beliefs. You had changed some things about yourself. You had reclaimed your voice and your power. And so you were a different person. You weren't yes. fitting in that old paradigm that he uh, wanted yes, you in. Yes, no. And I think when he was low, when he, uh, you know, that sounds like a diabetic term, when he, you know, emotionally low, sure. when he'd go down deep like that and get low, um, he was very, very cruel and mean and would try to knock me down several notches. Because, you know, he couldn't handle the fact that I wasn't super dysfunctional anymore. Yeah. You know, or that I wouldn't take the abuse. He was always trying to tell me I was depressed and I needed medication. That's projection. Yes. Projection is transferring onto someone else the denied parts of yourself. The part of yourself that you're unwilling to look at in yourself, you it, it doesn't go away. You project it onto other people. So you, and this very much happens with people who are controlling. They project their stuff yes. onto you. So him saying you were mentally ill, you right. needed medicine. Yeah, no. Well, and I'd say to him, I said, why can't you just um, accept the fact that I'm an optimistic, happy person? Because that's literally how I felt. Yeah. I felt like a joyful person. I felt like I had conquered so many demons that, you know, it's like, why can't you just accept it? But I think he needed to equalize us. Like he couldn't handle seeing me above him in right. any sense of the word at all. Yeah. And it probably just, there was, he could see in you something he didn't find in himself. Yeah. Which is that positive outlook on life. You know, and I think that there's a lot of times he did appreciate the fact that I was happier and that I had a more bubbly personality. Yeah. Um, I think he really did. But um, toward the end, after his mom had passed away, there was, there was really no reasoning with him. He just went into a super stressed place. Yes. And so... You know, he wasn't thinking normal, but he took his life and I was single again. Did you have a clue that he was going to take his life? We didn't. In fact, I was told by a therapist that if he's talking about it, he's that he won't gonna... do it. He okay. said, because they'll stop talking about it if they are going to do it because they don't want people to stop them. Now, had he talked about it previously? The night before. The night before 
he did it. He got mad at me. Um, I found an, we'll call it an inappropriate picture on my daughter's phone. He had given my daughter his old phone and left an inappropriate picture. And I called him out on it and he was very upset with me. And then he told me, he says, well, maybe I'm not going to make it to my 40th birthday. That was two days before his 40th birthday. Maybe, maybe I will kill myself. And I was like, well, have fun with that. Because I'd been told so many times and he'd threatened He'd threatened a lot. He'd threatened a lot. And he used it to manipulate you. Yes. Yeah, so, which is why it's, yeah, it's really common for guys who are like, so when inappropriate picture, was he doing porn? So I don't believe that he was an addict because I would check his computer. So I would find it there, not even frequently, rarely. So I kind of felt like he was medicating himself with porn, but he wasn't necessarily an addict. Mm. So the picture wasn't full-blown. But it was enough that my daughter was like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to call your dad and find out. So big fight. And then we saw him the next morning and he was supposed to be somewhere else. And instead of thinking, oh, he's going to go kill himself. I was on my way to school and we passed him and the kids were actually like, there's dad and waving at him. I was mad. There was no space in my head that thought he's going to go kill himself. Sure. Because I'd heard it so many times and it just wasn't real that he would go do that. So uh, he did. And we planned a funeral. We <laughs> did all those things that we do. Um, we grieved. I, I think I saw him. I think it was a dream. I went through all the grief things that we're supposed to go to, plus a little trauma because it was sudden and unexpected. Sure. I mean, there was no place in my brain that really thought he, he was would do it. He was missing for five days before we found him. And in that five days, it wasn't until the very end that I thought, oh my gosh, maybe he had. Wow. It wasn't even anything on the front of my brain. His brother was very afraid that he had. And I was like, no, Parker's six. My youngest was six. And they'd look at each other and he'd say, Daddy, you're my best buddy. And he'd look at Parker and say, Parker, you're my best buddy. And I'm thinking, who would leave that? Yeah, who would leave that? You know, I, I just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't even a possibility in my brain. I didn't even think to text him after, I mean, I was late to school because I was driving his carpool and things that day and he was supposed to be at a big convention that he wasn't at. And I was just mad. I right, was because mad you were that, taking his job that morning. Yes. And your kids saw him right there, and he was supposed to be gone doing something else. Yeah. So and he's so he's lied to you or been deceptive or something. Yes. And so you naturally you were angry. Yeah. There mm. was just so many things that it couldn't have been suicide to me. Yeah. So we went through all that and the funeral and the grieving, and people were wonderful to us. Still very, very grateful. Very, very grateful for, oh, my gosh so much support but then I found myself single again here I am yay single again but for real this time it wasn't a separation it wasn't it wasn't you know know, maybe you'll get back together yeah it was it was very permanent and I I waited a year uh his family was just devastated they just adored him and he was really good to them so they didn't see what was going on behind closed doors they really didn't and um, they still, he's still on a pedestal. They just still just think he's the greatest, which is fine. There were really great things about the man. Honestly, there really were. When he was good to me, he was really, really good to me. Which is really common with men yes. who are abusive. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So I waited a year 
just more of respect for his family because around six months after I kind of felt really lonely and sad like you know like I probably need to remarry which is funny that it's been 15 years now and I haven't <laughs> but wow <laughs> I put myself out in the dating pool and made every possible mistake there were still decisions I had made about myself there that were, were still, still playing out in your life yes causing things happening that you didn't like Yes. And so I did not feel worthy of a good man, I'm going to say. I dated any man that was living in his mom's or his grandma's or his brother's basement. I dated the jobless, the homeless, practically. I dated the narcissists. I dated all those men. Did you date any more mentally ill men? You, I'm sure you're sure but you I am positive sure. just the weirdest most bizarre behaviors I had men tell me that they wanted to quit their job and marry me so they could go back to school because they thought I had money I just attracted all the weirdos all the jerks so the last relationship I had was a very long one and he would be mean to me and then make fun of me Ooh. for letting him be mean to me and oh. honestly, it was such a wake-up call. When I finally booted him to the curb, you know, we, I talk about attachment all the time, how you get attached by being physical with people. So I was very attached to him. We'd break up and get back together all the time. Such an unhealthy pattern. Just FYI, we're going to talk about that later. So excited about our future podcasts. I have so much information to share. <laughs> but, I, you know, once again... Um, I allowed him to be mean to me. We broke up and got back together. All the dumb mistakes. I was needy. I was clingy. All these men, all these really terrible men, I'm going to say, all these jerks that I dated, and I would want to get back together with him. So when I finally cut the cord with him, I, fi I just had to do it. I had to cut the cord. He actually met someone like two months later. So he was never coming back, Okay. which was good. And then around year... I'm going to say year seven. It was bad. Year seven, I thought, there. I am the common denominator here at this point, And there is something wrong with me. And I have to figure out what's going on. Credit to you to look inward and say, what can I do to change this situation? Because that's really, really key to get to the point where you're like, I've got some, you know, there's something's going on with me. And I want to look at me in order to change good job anyway well ahead. thank you and so I started researching and of course I went to the internet and I started reading articles I started watching YouTube videos um, everybody knows who Matthew Hussey is Matthew Hussey changed my life because I was watching one of his well the first video I watched where he was talking about the most attractive quality you can have is confidence and I thought wow when did I let that go yeah, it kind of happens gradually, doesn't it? And it just you just don't even know when you're in an abusive relationship that right. that's gone. Right. And so Jeff and I weren't living together at the time of his suicide. And I thought I had it under control. Like I was a much happier person. He wasn't weighing me down. He wasn't putting me down. But I hadn't gotten rid of the past stuff. So I had to an extent, but I really hadn't. So I thought... So you discovered that confidence... You had a lack of confidence and that was a big deal. Yes, self-esteem, confidence. I'm like, oh, that's totally me. The second thing he said was because I was looking up why I would want to go back to this ex. And I was really quite devastated when he paired off with this other lady. Why? And Matthew said, there's a part of your brain that feels addicted. 
to this person after a breakup. And I went, oh my gosh, I have to figure out what that part of my brain is, which started everything I'm doing now. Uh That is the long version of how I became a dating coach. I have studied um, brain chemicals, love and attraction for almost a decade now. I've been a coach for more than three years. I certified in coaching when my youngest graduated from high school. And honestly, I've loved coaching. That's You're a great. coach. You love coaching. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's like, what you, it's it's my calling. It's, yeah. You know, it's like once you find that, you know, and, and I know. Yeah. And that's, it's for me. So this is great, Sharon, because we've talked about, you talked about chemicals. Yes. And your research and confidence. And our next two podcasts are going to be on love chemicals and confidence and how important those yes. things are. And I will talk more about my journey in there, my journey, because I went on a journey of self-confidence, self-esteem and happiness. And so when I coach, I do not ask anybody to do anything that I have not been through myself. Correct. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for being with us. Thanks, Sharon, for sharing your story. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. And hang tight, guys. We're going to have more episodes here really soon. And we hope that you come along for the ride. And you can see us at datetoyourpotential.com. You can go there and take our quiz. Yes, check us out. And we've got some programs coming up here, too. We want to help you. So bye for now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it inspired you on your dating journey. Make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe to our channel. Check out our website at datetoyourpotential.com and take our free quiz to see if you are dating to your potential. We care about you, we support you, and you are loved.